Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, July 26, 2022. Today on the Ether, Secret Spaces, featuring privacy projects on Web3. Let's take a listen. Hey, everybody. Hope you can hear me okay. It's time for Secret Spaces, July 26, 2022 edition. We're going to get everybody up on stage this week. We've got a ton of our friends from around the privacy space of Web3 joining us. Let me add some of them as speakers. We'll kick off momentarily as we get them up here. Let me see if I can find everybody, or maybe Patrick, you can try to find everybody that we've invited to join us here today out in the crowd. We'll invite them up here on stage. We'll get the announcements out. Yep. Adding them up now. Wonderful. We usually kick off the content around five minutes after the hours to give people a little bit of time to file in. So just hang out with us for just a moment. We're going to get everybody up here. Please do us a great favor and go and share the link to this spaces within your communities. If you're a privacy passionate person, you hang out with other privacy passionate people, this is probably going to be a real good talk. You may or may not know some of the projects that are joining us up on stage today. Uh, this may or may not be your first secret spaces. Either way, we're excited to feature a lot of these projects that are doing incredible work in the privacy space of Web3, which is still, after all these years, pretty underdeveloped. Uh, but we're trying to change that. So please share this link around. Let's see if we can pack the room here. We're recording this as well. So all these insights won't be lost to time, but they're always better live. Uh, Patrick, we have a badge today, don't we? We do, yeah. Every secret spaces, we allow people listening to the space to claim a secret NFT, a freedom and secret NFT. We call them secret badges. Today is no exception. Uh, is that tweet already out? Can you pin it to the space, Patrick? Yeah, the tweet is out. One second. Cool. So for right those now. of you who have not claimed a secret badge before, they're private by default NFTs. They prove that you attended today's secret spaces, but it's not revealed on chain. So definitely look into secret badges, secret NFTs more in general. That's just some of what privacy can unlock for everybody. But if you're attending today, make sure to claim yours. Patrick's going to pin the tweet that'll tell you exactly how to do it. I'll share the claim code pretty soon, which you can type in and just check it out. But yeah, would love to have any of you who haven't yet experimented with secret NFTs, go ahead, claim your private by default NFT to prove you were here without showing it off to everybody, only the people you trust, only the people you want to. Uh, we'll get a lot more into that, that private by default approach to the space as we go. I think pretty much everybody who's going to join us on stage uh, has some very helpful thoughts on uh, what privacy by default could do for Web3. Cool. Uh, that tweet is now pinned. I think we've got a lot of people coming up here already as expected. We're at... Waiting on one more one person. One more person. Got it. I just tried to invite Nico up here. Kenny's up here. Michelle is up here. Alan is up here. 
Um, and we're waiting. We're trying to get pseudo up here, right? Yep. Got it. Are they in the audience? And we're just trying to figure it out. I don't see them yet, but you can go ahead and start introducing people now. Make sure you get All started. right. Well, we'll get started. Um, and definitely uh, we'll make sure that people keep filling in here. So let's get started. It is Secret Spaces, resetting the space. Uh, it is the July 26th edition. We do this every week. This week, special privacy edition. We've invited a bunch of great projects from around the space to join us here on stage to talk through privacy for uh, a high level to start and then specifically what their projects are doing to contribute. Um, you've seen us feature projects within the secret ecosystem before. You've seen us feature people from around the Cosmos ecosystem before. This is something we wanna start doing a lot more regularly uh, is showing just how many other people are thinking about the privacy problem, contributing solutions and how we can start working more closely together just to make sure that this becomes a dominant narrative going forward in the crypto space, something we all have to care about if we want to drive global adoption. We can't wait till it's too late. So uh, I'm Tor. I'm from Secret Foundation. Patrick's up here on stage as well from Secret Foundation. Uh, we're one of the many entities helping grow the secret network ecosystem. Uh, we won't spend a lot of time on us. Instead, I'll hand it over one by one to the people who are joining us from around the ecosystem. Um, I'll ask them to give Quick 30-second introductions each, because they'll have plenty of time to talk about their projects later. Uh, do a quick personal intro and a quick project info uh, introduction. We'll start with who's on stage while I go look for pseudo in the audience. Um, but let's I'll, I'll just call on people one by one from people who are already up here. Let's start with Alan, uh, a personal intro, and uh, which project you're joining from. All right. Can you guys hear me, first of all? Yes, indeed. Party. Yeah, so I am Alan. Uh, many people in the Railgun down know me as Railaluya Churchgoer. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of the Railgun Privacy Project. Uh, been in crypto, I guess, since about 2017. Um, and at Railgun, we're building uh, privacy, privacy um, preserving uh, zero-knowledge smart contract for wallet-side privacy, currently deployed V1 uh, contracts for uh, Ethereum, Polygon, and uh, BSC. That's my... Quick intro. Perfect. All right, let's pass it to Nico. Yeah, hi, my name is Nico. Um, yeah, I've been in crypto slash security since 2016 or so. Um, and I'm here today representing Elusive Privacy, uh, which is a next generation privacy protocol in Solana that easily allows wallets and dApps uh, to easily integrate private solutions uh, into what they already have. Awesome, thank you very much. Now we'll pass it to Kenny. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Kenny and I'm one of the co-founders of Manta Network. We are a zero-knowledge proof focused on-chain privacy project, uh, building first in the Polkadot ecosystem for uh, private on-chain transactions as well as privacy preserving smart contracts. Phenomenal. Uh, the only person that we invited up here who's currently missing and we are looking for, uh, I think they have to join from mobile, will be joined uh, by Pseudonym who's joining from NIM which is also a privacy project within the Cosmos universe. So excited to get Pseudonym up here as well so they can do their own self-introduction. Till we get there, I think we can dive in into uh, a couple of these questions. Oh, hold on, hang on. Oh, shoot, I'm so too, sorry, Michelle. Michelle. I'm so sorry, that is no totally my fault. Michelle, you get an extra 30 seconds in addition to your original 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I don't need an extra 30 seconds. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'm super private, that's why you didn't even think about I'm sorry. me. I'm sorry, please. That's my, that's my little trick. 
<laughs> um, I'm currently not officially affiliated with any organization, but I was on the inaugural uh, Zcash Open Major Grant Committee, uh, where we, um, we we not only contributed towards Zcash-based products, we also um, gave a million-dollar grant to the Tor Foundation. Um, and I, I currently advise a uh, privacy protocol called Light uh, on Solana. Um, but generally, I'm super interested in the privacy space. I just did a three-hour workshop at Hope.net on privacy, uh, a plausible deniability privacy in crypto. Uh, and also, personally, what I want to help drive forward is the narrative aspect of what we're trying to do, because I think that will underscore a lot of the other efforts that we make um, as we kind of push back against an increasingly surveillance kind of environment. Absolutely. No, that's that's exactly why we're here. We're trying to help strengthen the narrative. We're trying to help push this conversation forward because yes, if we if we don't do it, uh, a lot of what gets built in the crypto space is, is not what the space needs. It's what's kind of convenient to build or immediately profitable to build. And there's not as much thought to privacy and sustainability as there could be. So pretty much everybody that you're seeing here on stage is somebody who's thinking very long-term and very much practically about what do we actually want to see built into these decentralized technologies. Uh, like we really want to make sure that privacy gets built intentionally uh, and certainly not as an afterthought. So let's dive into the content. We're still trying to get our last guest up here on stage. Uh, let's pick up where Michelle left us off then. Let's talk about this narrative, right? Uh, I have a few high level questions set up before we go project specific. So let's talk about the first one that I have here, which is why does privacy matter, period? Why does it need to be a narrative? And then in your answer for, for each of you, just kind of give us a sense. Do you think this is something that is improving, like understanding of this problem and also solutions to this problem? Or do you think it's something that's actually getting worse and we should be really concerned that things seem to be not improving when they desperately need to be getting better? Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll hand this one straight back to, to Michelle. I think that's a good place to start and then we'll work through everybody else. Cool. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if we can say definitively if uh, it's getting better or worse, because I think um, the overall system has become more um, surveillance driven. At the same time, it's also woken up people to, to what's happening. And, and so I think we're starting to see people uh, try and fight back. There's a saying that we can't, some of us can't have privacy if not if all of us don't have privacy, right? To to we talk about shielded pools and mixed nets. If you're the only people transacting there, um, then you know it, it doesn't provide enough privacy. So I think uh, I think the jury is still out, but I think it's extremely important for projects like ourselves not to just push the technology and how great it is, but also to to push the narrative so that. You know, while on the on the one hand, companies in the middle are being pushed by companies or projects in the middle are being pushed by uh, agencies on the right. On the left, they need to also be pushed back by consumers, consumers who care about the long term trend of what's happening. Great. What about our other panelist guests here? Who who else has a thought on this issue? Is it is it getting better? Is it getting worse? And and why does it matter at all? Right. Yeah, I'll um, yeah, I'll kind of chime in here. So. 
When it comes to privacy, I think about it really pragmatically, right? Um, I think that, you know, individuals really want to have privacy. I just don't think they realize that they have it in a, uh, you know, the, the traditional rails that exist for uh, finance. Um, you know, so whenever I go to like a, let's say a Starbucks or a bakery or something like this, I take, I swipe my debit card. You know, I definitely want them to know that I can take and pay for, uh, you know, my latte or my coffee or whatever it is. Uh, but I don't want them to have access to my my bank records, nor do I want them to be able to like track me into the future, right? And that's kind of the the situation we have in public ledgers today, right? So when we talk about like public ledger spaces like you know Ethereum, uh, Polygon, list goes on, right? We have that that issue where if I do a transaction with another party, um, you know they they then they have, uh, you know, viewing rights to the future of that wallet, and that's that's a big issue. And so if we think that like crypto is going to be like the future of finance and it's going to take over traditional rails and everyone's going to go into different stores with their crypto card or, or whatever it looks like, maybe it's a tap to pay with a phone, who knows, right? We have to have some semblance of privacy just from an individual level. But if we kind of, you know, expand that out into like institutions, right? You know, trading, especially, um, you know, we kind of saw what happened over the last two months in this last debacle of, you know, uh, down only. Um, you know, we were watching people, you know, being called out for specific liquidation points and things like this. And this is very difficult to deal with um, when you're an institution trying to maintain margin if someone knows exactly where you are in the space, right? Uh, it's also really difficult for, for alpha, right? If you're, you're developing a trading strategy, perhaps a specific farming strategy or a, a new shitcoin that you really like and you're trying to accumulate uh, and you don't want somebody to know about it, uh, it's going to be really difficult to do in a public ledger space. And it's only getting more difficult as people like Nansen, Chainalysis, apply more and more sophisticated AI uh, against the blockchain. And so, you know, we basically have like this arms race in between people like us on this, uh, this chat here today, developing privacy tech to allow people to have the privacy they need in order for, in my eyes, crypto to be successful. And sort of, you know, the, the counter to that, which is like on-chain analytics companies taking and you know, de-anonymizing everything in, in the blockchain. And I think as, you know, adoption gets greater and greater, you know, their de-anonymization, if you will, of the blockchain only gets easier. And so it's, yeah, I mean, I think Tori, you're right. It's definitely something that needs to happen, you know, rather immediately. And, you know, is it, uh, man, that's a good question. I guess, is it getting better? I, I don't know that it is getting better immediately, but I would definitely say that it's getting a lot more attention now, uh, especially as people, you know, start to realize that they're conflating, you know, the pseudonymous nature of an address with privacy and anonymity. You know, people are starting to realize that they, they just don't have privacy and are looking for options to to preserve that. So, yeah, I think we're, we're on the way, but it's it's definitely just getting started. Yeah, no, you're, we're talking about three things, right? Like whether people are actually becoming more aware, whether it's a problem. And even if they are, if we're getting any closer to solving this for people in Web 2 or Web 3, um, I'm breaking in quickly to share the claim code since we're 15 minutes in. Thanks everybody for listening to this point. The pinned tweet tells you how to claim your secret NFT badge for attending today's space, for which we are all very grateful. If you want to prove that you were here, but not prove it to everybody public on chain, be able to prove it privately when needed and see your badge for yourself and decrypt the private metadata. The claim code today is I love privacy, all caps, all one word because we all up here on stage do love privacy. The claim code is I love privacy. Thanks everybody for listening to this point. So Nico and Kenny, 
your answers, I guess, I'm merging our first two questions here since there's so much to say. My, my other question for the first one was, why does pri my privacy matter specifically in Web3, um, which I think Alan is already speaking to? So let, let's get your answers uh, to that. And then after you've both had a chance to kind of remark on it, we do finally have pseudonym here as well, who I'm adding to the stage. And then pseudonym will be able to introduce themselves as we go into things. But let's let's get both of your answers first. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so personally, I think I have to disagree a little bit with Alan and Michelle in the sense that they're not fully sure how much progress it's made in the past years. Because personally, I feel like especially in the last 20 years, we've had a huge leap, especially on the technological side for what privacy has done. Like encryption is pretty much a standard nowadays for when you're communicating with any web server in Web2. Um, zero knowledge proofs have made huge progress, especially in the last couple of years. The only problem, like personally, I've seen is that generally the UX just hasn't quite followed and kept up with more convenient non-private solutions. But that's why I think Web3 is like such an interesting opportunity for privacy because you don't have these established companies that are non-private or whatever and that people are used to, but rather you can basically build from scratch and educate the people on why privacy is important in a new ecosystem, which is, yeah. Yeah, and I think everyone's made a lot of really good points and I just kind of want to um, bring out something in summary, which is like, what is the end state of privacy? Right, like, what are we building for? I don't think, just as everything on blockchain right now is fully public. Well, I mean, ninety-nine percent of things, right? Unless you're doing like a private blockchain, but ninety-nine percent of activity is fully public. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we're trying to reach a state where we want everything to be fully private. I think, uh, at least in my perspective, right? I think the goal is to provide that optionality because at the end of the day, Web three is not about like. You know, I, I don't think Web3 is about one or the other extreme. I think it's ultimately about self-sovereignty. And the only way that you can have self-sovereignty, right, your, your own sort of human right on an individual level is if you have choice, if you have the optionality. And so I think like what we're doing here, uh, and I think everyone uh, in this space here uh, recognizes, right, like it's just the user needs to have the choice of being able to have privacy. Right now, there's just absolutely no choice in Web3. And people, I, I, I do think we're at a worse state with Web3 than, or we definitely are at a worse state with Web3 than Web2 because in Web2, right, traditional internet, we don't really think too much about our privacy. Uh, as Nico mentioned, um, you know, encryption, of course, it all happens on the back end. And then on top of that, for better or for worse, we have centralized databases. We have centralized entities that, you know, gatekeep our data. And we are led to believe that that sort of gatekeeping process, it comes with trade-offs such as, you know, like they get to harvest our data and use it for whatever purposes they want. But at the same time, it means that the rest of the internet doesn't have access to it. Um, I think like we're more so conditioned as users in like a traditional internet sense to be thinking about the value proposition more along the lines of, okay, my data is protected. My data is safe. But in Web3, there's no centralized entity that gatekeeps your data. Literally anyone with an internet access has access to your data, right? As Alan mentioned about like analytics companies like Nansen, Chainalysis, right? Like these, these types of analytics companies are already producing online profiles of you. And it's akin to Facebook's shadow profiles. And for those of you that don't know, it's like, Facebook knows who you are and Facebook knows you better than your best friend knows you, regardless of if you have a Facebook profile or not. And they're just using information on the internet through their touch points that have Facebook accounts to build your profile. 
So even if you don't have a Facebook profile, if 10 of your friends do, they will know who you are. And Web3 is exactly the same way, except no one needs to have an account. As long as you have a wallet address, like a Nansen and a Chainalysis is there to you know, do whatever they want with that data. Uh, and this is only the tip of the iceberg, right? Think five to 10 years from now, if people can exploit data for some sort of lucrative purpose, I don't see why they wouldn't. Yeah, well, they already are. I mean, I, I present this point on stage pretty much every time I'm on stage, which is like, if you look at what are actually unicorns in the crypto space, it is the companies, the entities that have managed to do the most with exploiting the public data on chain. And, you know, radical transparency does not necessarily lead to best results. It's just, uh, a, in many cases, kind of just like a lazy design structure. It's like, let's make everything public. It's like, let's just leave the keys in my car. That way, at least everybody has the equal opportunity to steal it. And then, of course, the best car thieves or the fastest car thieves are the ones who get there first and make all the money and sell all the cars. Like MEV being one of the things here where it's like the, people don't understand the consequence of just having all this public by default. But the people who are best positioned to understand the consequence are also profiting massively from it. So there's also a little bit of a principal agent problem, like the people who uh, might be best positioned to solve it, have really no incentive to. They are already exploiting your data. Chainalysis already has a multi, multi-billion dollar valuation. Um, and they already work with all manner of organizations, not the ones we would choose for them to work with necessarily. So, yep, to your points, this is a problem. Hard to say whether it's getting better or worse, but it's a problem in Web 2. It's a problem in Web 3. As you're describing, it's a problem for pretty much every layer one. The way we've architected Secret is such that we want it to be less of a problem, right? You start with privacy by default for the applications and, and hopefully it's it's not so disastrous. Sorry, Michelle, were you gonna Yeah, in? I wanted to, I was trying, I was weighing whether I could jump in here. Um, so I think all of us on this call are interested in privacy. We would probably make a little bit of extra effort to have privacy while transacting. I'm wondering, you know, you guys are building a lot of projects. You spend a lot of time in communities or, or outside your community trying to bring people in. What what are the barriers that you see that prevent people from from jumping in, whether they're users or the applications that build on top of you that then bring users? That's a wonderful question. Before we answer it, or maybe in the means of answering it, I want to make sure I give Sunan the opportunity to self-introduce. And maybe you want to take the first crack at that question, the, the barriers you see to adoption since we've already started building some solutions. Hello, everyone. Apologies for the delay. I, as it turns out, I had to reinstall Twitter to be able to join these spaces. So uh, that was a great experience there. Um, sorry, what was the question again? Michelle's question is around, uh, well, first introduce yourself quickly, <laughs> like which project you're with and, and who you are, and then I'll and then Oh, I'll yeah, sure. Question sorry. For you. sorry, I was getting ahead of myself. Yeah, so uh, I'm Simon, also known as, known as Pseudonym, and I'm the lead community manager of NIM, and it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Great. So the question here is, what are we seeing currently as the blockers to adoption, I guess, specifically of, let's say, Web3 privacy solutions? I mean, there's clearly blockers to adoption of Web2 privacy solutions as well. But what are you already seeing is like, if we're already building these things, why isn't everybody using them? Well, actually, that is a, that is a great question. I think, I think it sort of ties back into the, uh, into the issue with the general level of, of, of education of people, of the, of the issue of privacy. Uh, 
So if you um, if you look at this space, probably especially the talkers, but but this also includes um, most people who are listening. I would I would assume we are acutely familiar and aware of the problem, uh, and we understand it to a very deep uh, uh, to uh, like at a very deep level. And um, I think the sad reality is that is that this is this is not even close to be the state of the general public on the issue of privacy. Uh, it is it is a very complex problem. It is not something that is a uh, uh, that is very obvious to understand. And um, even for those who who sort of um, uh, heard about this problem before, the 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 question of of um, um, you know I have nothing to hide. So so why would I care about all of these companies having access to all of this data of me? Uh, it's still very prevalent. So I think I think. Um, um, there is there is this general gap with the importance of the problem and the and the understanding that exists in the public of that problem, and I think um, if more people understood uh, the, the 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 general state of privacy and and, and why it is important, um, um, there would be there would be significantly more adoption of these uh, of these technologies as well, and that that also includes Web two, so not only Web three. Go cool. go ahead, Alan. Uh yeah, I was gonna say. I think that's a good point. You know, I think there's a, you know, and I, I did this early on in like my world of crypto. Whenever I was, you know, um, getting into it, I, I kind of conflated like the difference, um, you know, between pseudonymous addresses and like in privacy. You know, like oh, well, this is just an arbitrary account. Um, and then you know, I kind of slowly realized that it is very trivially traceable to your your person, right? But I think that people just don't really have like a conscious understanding of like just how public. The, the blockchain space is right when we think about like you know we're, we're kind of like insiders in the space right you know so we we understand it very very well and even people who aren't you know fully insiders would have done things on on chain they, they generally get it right they look at like ether scan and things like this but i don't think they really put that together right and that that understanding only gets worse like when like people aren't actually like full deep in DeFi and things like this right so i think we do definitely have an education um issue there uh, but then I also think that we have like a, um, you know, it hasn't really been built uh, issue. You know, if we look at like the traditional, like I, traditional, which is kind of ironic in crypto, but hey, we look at like public ledger crypto, right? There really hasn't been a lot of uh, tools that existed um, for for privacy, right? Um, you know, the most thing, you know, the, the biggest one that, that exists around, right? Perhaps Tornado Cash didn't really have a lot of compostability when it comes to doing like DeFi interactions. Um, and, you know, only... You know, recently were things, you know, taken and put together that really existed, you know, like, you know, Railgun started building in early 21, um, you know, utilizing Roth 16, ZK Snarks, you know, Poseidon hash function, all of these things, which, you know, Poseidon was really, really new in early 21, right? You know, ABDK and those guys just barely did the research on it. And so, like, you know, technology to do privacy and public ledger blockchains is, is really quite difficult, right? And there's been you know, lots of projects that have had a go at it and, you know, failed, whether it been for like, you know, gas complications or just, uh, you know, the, the standard of the tech not really existing at the time. Um, I, I think that we've lost, you know, we've just, we've just now gotten to a point where, you know, it is possible to take and do like ZK snarks or uh, something like this and apply it against like arbitrary smart contract calls, like we're doing at Railgun. So I, I think it's a, not a new problem, but I think the solutions for, you know, public ledger of privacy to exist have like finally gotten here. And, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, where, where it goes over the next 18 months, you know, will it be 
you know, people integrating things for, you know, wallet, wallet side privacy, you know, smart contracts, but you know, smart contract logic or something like this, or, you know, will it be on the DAP side or will it be a mix of both? Um, you know, I think it's not a zero sum thing. I think it'll be a mix of all of the above, but um, I think that, you know, we're finally at a point where the tech is strong enough for, for people to start building that stuff. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, so personally, I mean, I agree with Simon and Alan, especially in the points that unfortunately many users these days just assume because, you know, you have student anonymous addresses, you open up Etherscan or whatever, Blockchain Explorer, and you just see like these random numbers. And you just assume, oh, okay, this must be anonymous, which, you know, in our case, we know it isn't, um, which then also kind of coincides with, with the tech, although having made still lower than your typical blockchain transaction these days. Example on our chart, um, a way with which wallets can make private transactions, and of course uh, we use zero knowledge uh, snarks for that, uh, which is always going to be slower than your standard transaction. And then if your average user isn't educated on, oh, you know, this actually preserves your privacy rather than just being the same as a normal transaction, there isn't really that much motivation to do something that just feels a little bit more annoying to do than your conventional thing. However, I'm of the firm opinion that this is a problem that fortunately is only on the UX and tech side of things and not on the business model side of things. Because when you look at traditional companies and Web2, for example, many of them are dependent on collecting data to actually generate the revenue. Their business model is dependent on it. That means even if the tech improves, they wouldn't move over to this type of solution just because they wouldn't be able to sustain their business in that way. However, in Web3, as we've seen, tech improves extremely fast and is continuing to improve. So I'm sure we'll get over these UX problems in the near term. And we won't be dependent on having our business model, you know, dependent on data, meaning we will be able to implement them and hopefully make great progress on that. Yeah, go ahead, Kenny. Um, yeah, so I think it's back to sort of like the core of Michelle's question about like, you know, like bringing people on board. Uh, I think one thing that we've seen generationally change um, is, you know, when back in, I guess, before this recent wave, and even, I guess, before, right, when, when Secret Network was Enigma, and the projects before, um, like Zcash and Monero starting off and Dash, it was very focused on onboarding each individual user. And that meant that the user themselves had to consciously think about, okay, I need privacy for some specific reason. Um, I think what we've shifted towards now uh, especially, you know, looking at a lot of the projects on the call today, right? Like we're shifting away from, okay, let's, we're shifting away from making the user think consciously about whether or not they want privacy and then taking extra steps to achieve that privacy to a level where we're now delivering privacy as a plug and play sort of service, privacy as a service to the application layer. And so what that means now is that it it's no longer you know, 1,000 individuals, in, sorry, 1,000 individuals each thinking whether or not they want privacy. It's about an application that enables privacy and delivering that to 1,000 users. And I think that really shifts how, um, you know, the, the Web3 space is thinking about the importance and the onboarding process to, or for users. Um, yeah. Great. No, these are wonderful answers, and, and I, Michelle, a wonderful question. I, I think I would I would summarize it a bit as well to say, I'm I'm hearing that education is a blocker, that UX may have been a blocker, that the solutions themselves weren't even built, so it was hard to say that people weren't adopting things because they weren't adoptable. There's also this question around privacy as a default 
knowing how powerful defaults are in everything that gets done and everything that we choose to do or unwillingly or unknowingly choose to do. There's a lot of friction for users when they have to opt into something versus opt out of something. And I think the the recent changes, of course, that like Apple, for example, was making um, that have uh, upset the business models of a great many organizations that relied on all of this behind the scenes data sharing by default, the, all these business models that relied on that now being completely disrupted. There's, there's a question about you know, whether we're going to see that trend continue in Web 2. We're going to see whether this trend begins in Web 3 because Web 3, the defaults up to this point have been fully radically transparent by default and users not having a choice, as we're saying, to opt out of that. Now we're giving them choices on how they can opt in, whether it's at layer one or whether they have these DeFi services that are privacy native. I think we all agree we want to make it easier for users to make these choices. And in fact, we don't want it to feel like a choice at all. We want to give them protections without making it uh, onerous for them to give consent or even understand what they're doing. Um, I have a maybe slightly controversial take, which is I think a lot of projects on this call, you're, you're making privacy a product. Um, you're, you're having people opt into your ecosystem on the, on, the, on the premise of privacy. I think a more effective way to spread privacy usage is to make privacy a feature. So on whatever networks, on whatever wallets, on whatever dApps people already transact in, add privacy at that level. So that people don't have to shift, people don't have to move. They do what they do, and then they press a button to add one layer of privacy. That's one way. If if I were running a project, that's that's how that's how I would try to push the usage of privacy. The the I've heard this expressed, you know, from everybody, from technologists, from VCs to to whomever. Right. The reason I fundamentally don't. Well, I won't say I fully disagree. I just, I would say that it's kind of a spectrum between feature and standalone product. And I fall very far towards the other end of that spectrum relative to your answer. And the reason is that, you know, what is the incentive then for these products to display this feature prominently or urge the user to select it if it's not a default, right? If it's something that the products like MetaMask say is now offering this by default. Okay. So what's the default? Who built the feature. Did MetaMask build the feature? Did they roll their own cryptography? Did they integrate Railgun? If we're offering NFT privacy as a feature in an existing marketplace aggregator, let's say, what does NFT privacy look like? Do they have their own standalone solution that they're going to push on people as a result? What's the incentive for them to offer that? I think the moment you say push, it doesn't work anymore. I think people have to want it. It's almost like the Intel Inside campaign. Um, if people don't want privacy, and frankly speaking, you just have to accept, all of us have to accept that some people really don't care, which in my experience, the vast majority of people interacting in crypto today, then, then they don't want it. And, and if you wish to inspire more people, then that's where wider narratives come in. I, I think that's a really dangerous sentiment to say, if they don't care, they don't want it, right? The problem is this point exactly about people don't understand what they're giving up. If they don't care, they don't care. They may not know that they should care, but you know, it, it's not like we're saying something terribly controversial to say privacy is not something that's easy to understand. It's fundamentally something that's usually invisible to the end user and the ways that it erodes our rights when our privacy is eroded is not very tangible to people. We don't feel it as actively as we could or should. 
So I don't think that just because people don't opt into privacy or seek it out doesn't mean they don't care or don't want it, especially don't want it. It just means that we haven't made it easy enough for them to understand it or to opt into it. And again, like I don't think they should have to opt in at all. I'm not advocating we push privacy down people's throats. I'm advocating that we tell them they're protected by default, right? So we, we use, you say Intel inside, we say secured by secret. We give them the confidence to know that what they're doing is private by default. And I guarantee, well, I don't wanna guarantee, but I'm like, who's going to then press the button that says, you know what? I actually want to opt out of this privacy. The, we know that people aren't doing that because Apple changed their default and it destroyed a bunch of businesses that relied on the model where everybody opted in to revealing all their data by default. Now people are constantly refusing to opt out of privacy. And that's why this is happening. We know it's happening. I just don't see, like, why can't we say that that should also happen in Web3? I think, I think something that is missed here that you guys didn't, didn't touch on is universality, which I think uh, generally in, in Web3 is sort of a problem yet to be figured out. Uh, not so much in Web2, but everything that is universal right now is, is um, uh, you know, privacy by default is very far from, from the reality and, and anything that is universal right now. So um, one of the, there are many barriers and obviously to any technology, there, there are going to be barriers and also trade-offs. So that is something that, that we just need to keep in mind. And, and I think nobody has illusions uh, about this part. But I think one of the very, one of the barriers that are very hard to break um, and and uh, achieve mass adoption of anything is is the lack of universal universality. So how would you how would you so let me give you the example of some some obscure messaging app that that really does provide you with great privacy and uh, multi layer encryption and all of that stuff. Why would you use it if nobody else is using it? Hi, so so th then there's there's um, uh, a huge counter incentive for you to make the jump, and that's that's also a catch twenty two in itself because because obviously if no one's using something, nobody will make the jump to it, and you know you see the problem. So I think I think that is something that uh, that in general uh, will have to be figured out for for uh, Web three and also Web three privacy. We need universal solutions that uh, that don't, don't don't tie you into any ecosystem uh, too far, you know, and and that that can that can um, um, work with with multiple solutions. I think that's a pretty important uh, uh, topic when this comes up. Yep. Well, this might be the perfect time then to pivot into, uh, we wanted to make sure everybody got a little bit of time specifically to talk about their own project and their own solutions. We've been talking kind of at a high level. Um, so for people on stage, let's run about like 60 seconds per person since you've got this great audience here captive. Uh, for, for about a minute or so, let them know, how are you? How is your project? How are you personally approaching solving this problem in the Web3 space? It may look more like a feature. It may look more like a, an entire layer one ecosystem. Uh, we'll just go and run through everybody who's on stage, like why you're building your thing the way that you're, you're thinking it, it, it should be built, at least true for today. Your roadmap may be long, but like true for today, why are you building what you're building? And we'll start, I think, with... Um, Let's start with Kenny, if you're ready to go. Oh boy, okay. Sorry, um, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So, um, yeah, so at Manta Network, I think one of the key uh, focuses that we have for building what we're building in terms of privacy and talking about features and choice uh, is around uh, making the user experience as simple as possible from the application side. And so, what I mean by that is. 
you know, when we when you look at uh, Ethereum, right, there are solutions on top of Ethereum that provide levels of privacy. I think Tornado Cash was mentioned here, but uh, also Tornado Cash was mentioned as like, you know, there's there's some limitations in terms of composability. Um, and also because it is, you know, ZKP based, it's very computationally intensive. And so building on top of the infrastructure level. Uh, makes it a little bit uh, limiting in terms of the performance side, right? And so, like, we wanted to uh, both think about how do we get high performance on the ZKP side, but also deliver it as seamlessly as possible to the user or to the application. And so what we're doing is we are building our own network. Uh, and on top of our network, what we're doing is we're enabling uh, smart contracts that are EVM compatible. So any ERC-20 token contract, any ERC-721 contract can interact with our privacy layer, which is uh, UTXO based. And I guess without getting into too much lingo, what this essentially means is that any applications that are saying, oh, I want to deploy on Ethereum or I want to deploy on Polygon or somewhere else that is EVM compatible, they can deploy on Manta Network as part of their multi-chain strategy just as easily with no code change on the smart contract level, uh, but also be able to leverage the privacy preservation functionality that we've already built out. Cool. Uh, let's see. Who else on stage wants to go? Sure, yeah. I'll... Um... I'll chime in here. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, go for it, man. Railgun us away. And, oh, yeah, right. Awesome. Sorry about that, man. I feel like my Bluetooth is just giving me shit today. But yeah, so Railgun, we built a, a privacy-preserving DAP for uh, public ledger blockchains. Um, we use a, a Groth 16 ZK SNARK system, um, which is really, really great. But uh, I guess I'll talk about it in terms of like the SDK, right? So we built it for you know three primary things, right? First and foremost is the wallet side SDK. Like basically what this allows is people like MetaMask, Brave Wallet, um, et cetera, uh, to take and build uh, an incognito mode for their wallet, right? So just like how you could take and hit Control Shift in on Google Chrome or, you know, Brave, you could take and do the same thing with your wallet, transact privately with a private balance uh, and, you know, apply arbitrary smart contract calls against this, which speaking of that part, you can have uh, the, uh, the SDK for arbitrary smart contract calls, right? So this is taking, you know, and doing whatever you could do with a public balance and being able to apply it to a, a private balance. And so we actually built the first Lighthouse case for that with uh, the Xerox API. So you could actually take your private balance and do swaps uh, on Ethereum, BFC, and Polygon, um, which I think is pretty trick. And we'll be able to take and do that uh, with other dApps, um, which will be really cool. Um, it's a pretty lightweight SDK, so you can actually take and just you know, do the same arbitrary smart contract calls with uh, a little bit of bookending uh, to deal with uh, a private balance. And that's pretty sick. Uh, but then also the uh, the last thing that uh, we have on the SDK side, right, is the uh, the Railgun Connect. So just like being able to take and, you know, connect your MetaMask or whatever, you can take and, you know, directly connect a, a Railgun private balance uh, to the front end of another dApp, right? And so I guess really what we're after in terms of like Railgun is, you know, bringing the solution to the space where they're transacting today. I think a lot of people, especially when we talk about like institutions, right? You know, they're, they're very comfortable in taking the, the risks that they're wanting to take today in the Web3 space, right? That is, you know, transact in the places that they're already transacting. Um, and so being able to take and build, you know, a smart contract logic-based solution that just sits, you know, as infra, if you will, um, where they're transacting today, uh, that'll allow them to, you know, maintain alpha or something like this or protect their privacy uh, on an individual level, right? I think is is kind of the play that we're after, right? We're going to bring privacy to, you know, where people are transacting 
and you know let them you know build the things that they want to build uh, and and do the things that they want to do, but just uh, in a in a private fashion. Awesome, Nico or Sudo, what are you what are you guys building right now? Yeah, sure, I can go next. Um, yeah, so Lucas, basically, we're building on top of Solana um, instead of making our own chain, our own protocol. And the main reason we decided on that is just because we have the strong thesis that people do care a little bit about privacy, but not enough to the point that they want to, or at least they're very sticky to the solutions that they already know and love. And if you look at Solana, for example, it's one of the blockchains with the most active addresses. So we decided on that one to start out. In addition to it being fast enough for ZK that we can deploy you know, privacy on there uh, without needing to do a layer two or something like that. And then basically the approach we took is uh, we looked at, for example, Tornado Cash was already mentioned, was one of the first uh, ZK solutions built directly on top of a general purpose chain, Ethereum in that case. However, Tornado still suffered from kind of having the problem of not being composable enough, requiring users to go to a separate website, uh, memorize their own, uh, you know, the parameters for the zero-knowledge proof and so on, uh, which just made it too tedious to use. So the approach we kind of took is thinking, uh, similar to, to Railgun, um, is deciding, okay, People already have their wallets that they know and love. Let's provide the wallets of an SDK with which they can easily integrate you know, a privacy mode um, inside of the wallet and essentially allow users to send private payments as easy as just having a little slider that says, you know, do my transaction privately or do it publicly. And through that, we think, yeah, we'll be able to get a lot, reach a lot more users with privacy than um, yeah, if we would make you know, a separate website or whatever. So yeah, we definitely agree with the SDK approach here. Cool. Pseudo. And then Michelle, if you want to talk about the, the project that you are working with currently after, you certainly can. Sure. Um, I guess it's good that, that I'm going last because our project is a, is a bit of an odd one out in terms of, uh, you know, Web 2 versus Web 3 because we're, we're agnostic in that sense. So, uh, what we, what, so we have two core technologies. One of them uh, is, um, is uh, an infrastructure level solution that is network infrastructure. And, um, uh, and it's called a mixnet. It's not a new technology, but, um, uh, but we basically took a spin on it. So what um, our mixnet does, it's an incentivized decentralized mixnet. And um, um, it basically shuffles traffic uh, that is carried through it, um, any network, network traffic, uh, in a way that makes it impossible for any observer to, to say who's sending a message to whom. Uh, and that includes also uh, details such as timing and other metadata that, that can, uh, that can um, um, reveal who you are and who you're sending uh, traffic to on, on, on other solutions, such as um, uh, VPNs or Tor. So each packet, packet is also um, 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 so encrypted in a multi-layer multi-layer way, and um, and uh, as it tra travels through our mixnet, each uh, each hop basically removes one layer of encryption, and no one mix node on our on our decentralized uh, network infrastructure knows where each package is going. All they know is that uh, is the next mix uh, next mix node that uh, that it needs to uh, uh, travel to. So in essence, this uh, this makes. Um, um, the, the regular ways of, of, of mass surveillance that are currently uh, most in use uh, by, by governments and also um, large corporations, functionally impossible. So uh, nobody from the outside is, uh, uh, is capable of knowing whether, uh, whether I'm messaging someone, and if so, who, who, who my, my, my packages are going to. So in other words, it, it completely obfuscates uh, uh, the metadata of, um, uh, of each package. And uh, the other technology that we have, the other core technology that we have is a selective disclosure system. It's called uh, Coconut Credentials. And um, the easiest way to, uh, to explain this stack is basically through an example. Um, currently, 
um, currently all of the the uh, credentials that we need to show uh, at different places are way too data heavy in terms of what they contain and what they what they disclose about you. Um, so, for example, if I have to show a, a COVID vaccine passport or immunization passport or whatever it's called in, in different regions, I will have to tell the person who's scanning it uh, in that QR code my name, my uh, my social security number, and all sorts of other completely irrelevant details are included. Um, which someone who just needs to know that I've been vaccinated uh, against COVID or have tested negative um, uh, within the past 24 hours or whatever it is, uh, has no business of knowing. So uh, coconut credentials is basically making that uh, a reality. Um, with coconut credentials, you can you can um, uh, you can perform selective disclosure, which means that I can I can verify that I've been, for example, vaccinated without the need to share, um, you know, my mother's maiden name uh, and all of that stuff. So that's Nim in a nutshell for you guys. Thanks. I really love what Nim is doing for a few reasons. I think they're tackling privacy at levels that, um, you know, many privacy projects, including Zcash, are targeting. A lot of us are doing uh, payment privacy, uh, maybe NFT privacy. But I think Nim, sorry, I'm not, not paid by them to shill, but I, I think what they're doing is very cool in that they are, for example, targeting network level privacy, which even Zcash will admit you know, we we don't have that, which is why we uh, we we do need to fund projects like Tor um, for people to have true network level privacy. People are using it in, in you know certain jurisdictions where where you know if 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 their identity were disclosed, it could be a life threatening uh, situation. So I think super cool, and I really like the idea of selective disclosure. If if I go to the bar. The bouncer doesn't need to know everything. They only need to know my age. They don't need to know my address or anything else or my ID. Anyway, great. <laughs> Free show for Nim over. Um, personally, <laughs> personally, I um, I think I truly believe for me, at least my biggest contribution could be on a narrative front. Um, so, you know, we talk about privacy, encryption, et cetera. I was just reading a, a bit of the history. Um, when encryption first came about in, in the 90s, we had the crypto wars, right? It was a fight to, to, to protect or, or allow encryption to happen. Um, at some point, the government proposed something called a clipper chip. It was something that, uh, it was basically a backdoor for the government. So you put it in electronics, you could encrypt to stay private from snoops, et cetera. But the, the government would have plain text access to whatever went through that chip. And it was the original cypherpunks who basically vomited all over it. Um, but the way they did that was uh, one of the things they did, a lot of things they did were narrative based. But one of the really funny things they did was, I don't know if any of you remember the Intel inside kind of uh, campaign where uh, consumers were pushed to ask for the Intel chip inside the computers. So what these cypherpunks did was um, they printed some stickers and they ran into electronic stores and they stuck stickers on you know any piece of electronic they could find. And the sticker was basically the Intel logo, but uh, it said Big Brother inside. <laughs> and... Um, I think that allowed consumers to really wake up and understand what was happening. And it, it led to a point where I think CNN did a poll where 80% of all respondents were against the clipper chip, which is why today we don't have a backdoor in our uh, electronics. So I think narrative is the most important piece, uh, in, at least on some fronts in this battle or war. 
Absolutely. No, I think everybody here on stage, I mean, this is just us kind of talking with the community here, but people should know this is not just like we invited a bunch of people to a stage and we're doing this and now we forgot about it. And thanks everybody for their time and attention. Like we are now focusing very hard between projects on how we can advance the narrative within the Web3 space, I think specifically to start just because you know, in the Web2 space, it's a very complicated issue already. There's great actors like uh, like Tor Project, obviously, who are working on some of these issues in, in a way that is, again, like decentralized, but not necessarily what we would think of as Web3. Um, and we want to be able to work with those projects more directly, but we also want to be able to work with each other more directly to tell these stories to ensure that this is being covered just as actively as the $100 million fundraise uh, or as the latest VC funded layer one or this or that or the other, right? Like the narrative behind privacy and the importance specifically of privacy, not privacy just as as part of something uh, that's that's even larger, but privacy itself and making it a focal point is going to force technologists and users to reckon with it on, on a more regular basis. And if we said that education is a huge piece of the issue, in addition to just actually shipping the tech, then hopefully at least placing the focus on the narrative creates a lot more educational opportunities leads to the creation of much more refined educational materials and the broader reach of those materials to end users and to developers and hopefully even to regulators. Uh, because I still do firmly believe that as regulators look at the Web3 space and make no mistake, they're looking extremely closely at the Web3 space. There's really two paths this can go. Either regulators decide that they should outlaw privacy outright and try to stop there from being any sort of privacy protections, pseudonymy, anonymity, or any other kind of privacy protections being built in for Web3 users, or we have the opportunity to educate regulators as to why privacy is a fundamental human right and should be embedded by default in Web3 products. The same way that regulators get very concerned when Facebook or Equifax or whomever leaks all of your data to the world without controls, and then they lead to billions of dollars in fines. Maybe it is a bad thing that in the Web3 space, all of your data is constantly revealed by default to any manner of actors, good, bad, and otherwise. You know, We have the opportunity to tell that story. We may have the opportunity to dent history and, and impact the future of how these technologies get built, adopted, and regulated. But we have to coordinate on privacy as the, specifically as a leverage point and do that collectively not project by project necessarily, not saying this is the only viable privacy solution, just to say privacy is worth solving. We're solving it. Come experience it for yourself. Uh, we have some minutes until the top of the hour. We can go a little bit over as well because I just we have so many guests today and there's so many good things here. But this is the time where we're going to bring up anybody who's in the audience who wants to ask a couple quick questions. If any guests have a hard stop at the top of the hour, you're totally free to go. But um, if you have a question, please raise your hand. I see one hand raised. Happy to add you up here if you've got a question for our speakers. Um, and then anybody else who has a question, uh, I'll add you as well. Please feel free to um, ask a relevant question about Web3 privacy, ideally. So Vicaro, I just added you. You can go ahead. If you're yeah, ready. thanks a lot. Um, I just had a question about what do you guys think uh, is the only way to uh, live with blockchain analytics companies because they're going to keep prying things and uh, I mean it, it's pretty much something that's there set in stone so is there any way that you guys think that they can live within the web3 space I think it's like an arms race right you know if you really sit and think about it 
um, you know, we kind of had the same arms race. Michelle talked about it, you know, from the, the crypto wars where people were getting stronger and stronger encryption standards that were developed. And, you know, now there's even the, the talks uh, around like the quantum uh, resistance capabilities of like, you know, different encryption standards and whether or not they'll fail you know, once quantum computing, um, you know, is a thing. So I think it's, um, I think it's just really a standard arms race, right? You know, I think we'll have like, um, you know, stronger and stronger encryption methods that are developed over time. You know, um, you know, public key encryption is always getting better and better. You know, um, I always follow like the, the you know, Zcash uh, is a really great example of this, right? If we looked at the original setup for their ZK snark circuits, um, you know, fast forward it to today, and now they have, uh, you know, recursive ZK snarks where they don't even have a, a setup, right? Um, and, you know, so these standards will get better and better over time. But I also think, um, and I'll go on a, a bit of a, a limb here, and I'll say that I think there's a, there's some things that should be public, right? Especially when it comes to like Web3, um, like, it, or at least I feel, right? So whenever I want to interact with something like a smart contract, let's say, I want to be able to take and verify that that smart contract is going to act in a way that I think uh, it should. So if I go and I want to take and swap my tokens, let's say I got some stable coins and I want to swap them for, uh, you know, a new shit coin that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, maybe I've gotten bullish on something here on this call today and I want to, I want to swap, right? I should be able to go and verify on chain that this contract is going to do what I tell it to do uh, based on the code there, right? And I should be able to take and, you know, maybe even further verify that, um, you know, it'll have the liquidity there for me to, to do it, right? Um, so I think that like, you know, there has to be like a bit of both, right? I think, you know, privacy by default for users is is mission critical. I think it's very, very important, right? Wallet side privacy. I don't want anybody to know how much money I have in my bank account. And I don't want people to know how much money I have in my crypto account. It's none of their business, right? I think this is definitely important, that privacy by default. But I also believe that there should be some sort of, you know, public, um, uh, you know, some things that are public to, to you know, the end user where they can take and verify that things are going to act uh, the way that they should. And, you know, maybe that's the space for like on-chain analytics. And I think that it's probably, unfortunately, less lucrative for them. So maybe Nansen's subscriptions will get significantly uh, less expensive, um, you know, because right now all they're doing is taking and selling alpha uh, from funds to, you know, the highest bidder, if you will. You know, they take, they collect, collate, and then sell data of folks like Genesis and you know, uh, all these other different big funds and how they're trading and, you know, the APYs that they're making. And, you know, I think if, if privacy does take over, you know, those narratives will erode away. But um, I think there will be an arms race to get there. Cool. Let's, I, let's get, let, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Michelle. And then I, I am adding a couple more questions up here. Yeah. I, I think the uh, premise of their argument is that chain analysis is bad and, and weird and creepy. I mean, they, they do do a level of intelligence and analysis that is very scary, but I don't think they're the enemy, so to speak. They have done a lot of good for the world. The, the types and the amounts uh, and the dastardliness of the people they have helped apprehend, I think, I think needs to be, um, I think needs to be, I, I don't know if celebrated is the right word, but I think their efforts need to be appreciated. I think you're yeah, touching I mean, on a bigger so problem. I think, go ahead. I think you're touching on a, a bigger debate that needs to be had, like where to draw the line. What are we as a society uh, willing to trade off? I think that's well, the analysis. Yeah, I, I think it is, though. Right. I mean, I don't want to give up my individual freedoms just because someone wants to go out. Like if, if like multi-lettered agencies want to take out and do due diligence 
and ply it against the blockchain in order to take and catch criminals. That shouldn't come at like the expense of my personal freedom, right? So I, I think that there is a bit of a, um, definitely a deep debate to be had there, right? But, you know, I think that, you know, Chainalysis has done really good things for, you know, again, these multi-lettered agencies to take and apprehend people who are bad actors, right? But, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, also the things that they're doing in terms of, you know, on-chain espionage, right? So taking and like, you know, dissecting the trading secrets of, you know, various funds and things like this to, you know, sell that as like alpha as a service or something like this, right? So like, yeah, okay, great. Like they're, they're taking and they're finding criminals, but, you know, even, you know, when you read deep into the debriefs of like these, you know, on-chain analytics, they find that there aren't really a ton of bad actors in this space. And it is still indeed, you know, really much easier to launder money in, well, cash, <laughs> you know? So like, um, yeah, there's certainly bad actors that exist, but, you know, just to sum it up, I, I just don't think that like, we should just say, ah, oh, well, they're, you know, they're there. So we should let, you know, Chainalysis have access to, you know, all of our financial data because, you know, there's a couple of people out there doing bad things. Let's uh, let's move and see if we can get a couple more questions here. We already we had to lose Kenny, who had to drop at the top of the hour. Appreciate Kenny from Mantha joining us. We have Zero X Dan up here now. If you've got a separate question or related, yeah, I've got a question. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so I've uh, been in the space for a couple of years. Uh, was spying on Railgun uh, for a very long time. Kind of saw it, saw it launch. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely part of the Railgun community. And the question I have is really around. Um, kind of three things, right? Interoperability, composability, and liquidity. And generally what I see with a lot of zero-knowledge solutions is that the, the, the premise is that either you have to go to a layer two or you have to go to another layer one. So I'm curious, what, what does the community generally think about those approaches? Like, is the play that you want to incentivize, you know, big players to go to a new environment or... Is it, um, or do we think that actually, if you deploy these private, uh, these private uh, solutions to where they already are, whether that's Ethereum, whether that's Polygon, um, that maybe that that creates more traction for zero knowledge proofs generally, right? Because when you deploy into another network, now you're breaking composability, or even on a layer two, right? In, uh, a private app on a right. on a layer two that's interacting maybe with a public layer one, you can't really access the liquidity um, um, directly uh, with that layer one without a bridge. So super curious to hear kind of what what the community's thoughts are, because I've always thought what's so elegant about Railgun is that it is, uh, you know, it deploys on any chain and then it creates this almost like decentralized dark pool on that network. So then the dApps that are integrated to the SDK start interacting with one another and then it creates this kind of building block compounding effect. Right. I'm super curious to hear what, what people think about that. So uh, let me let me remark really quickly on this because I know we take a different approach to a lot of the other projects on stage here. Like we are a layer one and it's private by default. So yeah. our approach to solving this question of generalizability versus composability versus all these other things looks a little bit different. But we've made a bet that as a sovereign chain ecosystem, we can optimize for a lot more things than if we were strapped onto a public by default ecosystem where everything still had to settle somehow to a public by default network. And because we've built in the Cosmos ecosystem, uh, pseudonym from NIM had to drop off, but NIM also building in that space and considering some of these interoperability advantages. We we actually had a forum thread a couple of weeks back posted by the CEO of Secret Labs 
about this vision of being a sovereign universe, a standalone layer one that also is a privacy as a service layer, utilizing cross-chain contract calls and things of that nature. I do believe that that is the future architecture, right? But we're also making a bet simultaneously on things like IBC being the future of bridges in the space, as opposed to these like um, exploited proof of authority models and multi-sig bridges. Like that's a bet. It's still a yep. bet. It's not like there's been one determined winner. There's not one determined winner on privacy. There's not even one determined winner on any existing layer one, right? Like if you had said in 2018, very credibly that there would never be another thing like Ethereum, you would have missed every other EVM chain. You would have missed things like Solana getting end user oh. adoption. Like, so we can't Absolutely. say right now, anything is over, anything is decided. That's why I'm always hesitant to say, let's go where the users are today. Otherwise we would have been building everything on top of AOL. And I totally agree. And I, I think you're totally right. And I think there's a distinction between creating a layer one and a layer two versus deploying something that can be deployed onto any layer one or layer two. And I'm totally with you there. I mean, one of my theses is, is that, um, look, zero knowledge proofs just inter and like SNPC, I don't know if anyone knows like Nillion, but like, I think that we're, we're building out these architectures that are going to completely, you know, recontextualize what people even think is settled science in this space so like you know what once you know is mina's like recursive zk snark model based off um Ouroboro, like is that going to be the layer one for zk snarks like maybe maybe not maybe there's going to be like a whole other um land grab so i'm, I'm totally with you there i i'm not i'm not of the opinion that we're in settled science now but i was just curious because i do think that even outside of that conversation that's too separate it's like do you deploy the thing to all the networks or do you create a sovereign network? And that's a really, and maybe those right. two live simultaneously somehow. They're currently living simultaneously. We're going to find out. That's what everybody yeah. on the stage is kind of doing, right? We, yeah. We've heard kind of every alternative here. And we have a project like NIM that's even potentially building a level lower. So really, really great group that we were able to bring to stage today. And, and hopefully we continue to do these and get these great groups back. We'll probably have the opportunity to do this again from, um, I, I know Manta's already offered to host the next one and so on, just to keep the conversation going. So I definitely agree with you. It's unsolved. We have a ton of different uh, solutions coming. I don't see anything up on stage here as competitive solutions. We're all trying to push privacy. We're all trying to figure out what's going to work. And we all win yep. if something does. Yep, totally agree. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the question. Let's get one more. And then I have a hard stop coming up pretty soon too. So I'm going to bring up, Nicholas, who's been waiting patiently uh, for that last question. And apologies to anybody if we didn't get to your question. We will do this again, I promise. We did go over a little bit, so thanks again for your patience. Last thing I'll say, if you've stuck around to this point, remember, we did announce we have a secret NFT for you to claim. It's totally free. The link is in our Twitter. The claim code, however, you will need. The claim code is I love privacy. So if you love privacy, know that we love privacy. Your claim code is I love privacy. You can look through our Twitter, figure out how to do that. You claim a private by default NFT that proves you were here and no one needs to know except you. You'll get a special thank you in the private metadata. But go ahead, uh, Nicholas, did you have a question? Yeah, um, so Alan pretty much answered it, but what are you trying going, oh, geez, what are you trying to do to block like certain big companies or governments from using these privacy options to re remove money from the people there like there needs to be some sort of way to reduce that type of abuse yes i think your question is around like how do we make sure that it's like permissionless and like and, and trustless is, is that what i'm gathering 
Uh, a bit. Pretty much, it's like, it's hard to do it where you need the information of the person to make sure that it's a real person and not some sort of corporation. But at the same time, how do you keep it private? Oh, is this, this is more about like questions of identity and how it relates to privacy? It's more like, let's say Elon Musk opens a, um, an account with you guys and tries to launder money out of his company. Uh, public ledger, you can see that money going into his account, but through your system, we wouldn't. So how would you be able to regulate certain things like that? Okay. Yeah, so then, go ahead, Alan. Yeah, I mean, so the, the way that, like, I guess this, this kind of technology works, right, is that, you know, the, uh, I guess in terms of Railgun, anyway, um, is that it is like a permissionless and, and uh, decentralized uh, smart contract, right? So the, the Railgun smart contract uh, was actually voted on by the DAO, um, which in the early days was really quite funny. We all made jokes, um, like, in, like, the core community that, like, maybe... You know, what if, you know, the DAO voted no to privacy or something like this, right? We thought that'd be really hilarious. But you know, so everybody took and voted and uh, it got deployed and, you know, it's out there for anybody to take and use, right? Anybody could take and call the, the Railgun smart, smart contract and use it, right? And so um, in terms of like taking and stopping people from using um, privacy solutions, uh, at least is the way that Railgun is structured is that it is a truly you know, decentralized permissionless system, you know, so anybody can use it, right? Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, the, the reality is, is I don't think we can actually take and stop bad acting, but rather, you know, we'll, we'll get to the point where people, um, you know, can take and, and be like proof of good acting. Right. And so one of the, one of the things that I postulate about the future, which, you know, we can definitely get into the very long weeds of is that like, we'll get to the point where people can take and prove that they are a good actor. And so, you know, what are the things that you have in, in gone one of the, one of the ZK circuits is a um, what's known as a viewing key, uh, if you will. And what you can do is you can actually take and generate a zero knowledge proof of your, um, you know, of your deposits in the UTX or Merkle tree that are, you know, typically encrypted to the outside user and, and reveal those to two people. Right. And I kind of akin this to something maybe if you're in the U.S., maybe you're familiar with a form uh, 8300 from the IRS. This has to do with very large cash transactions actually not very large, you know, $10,000 and more, or of a suspicious uh, nature, right? And so people actually take and they fill these out whenever there's a transaction that happens with cash, right? So if you took and let's say you go to a, I don't know, a car dealership and buy a, a Honda CRV for $15,000 and you pay with, I don't know, quarters and dollars and, you know, $20 bills and whatnot, right? You'll actually take and fill this form out. It'll go to the IRS. The IRS will take a look at it and they'll say, hmm, gee, uh, this is this is kind of sus. We're going to look into Nicholas. And Nicholas, you'll get like an, uh, a letter in the mail from the IRS that says, hey, prove to us that you got that cash by good means, right? And then you'll take and you'll you know show to them, oh, you know, I have a job or, you know, I, I got it, you know, as a gift or whatever, maybe uh, I had a really good hand at poker or whatever it may have been. You know, I played the slots in, in you know, Las Vegas and, and won, right? I got these not by being a Sandy Nation arms dealer or, you know, a drug dealer from South America or something like this. And so, like, you know, when we look at, you know, the analogs uh, in like traditional finance, you know, these things exist, you know, where people can have like really, you know, arguably very private things, cash and, and use them uh, to buy goods, a car in this example, um, and then still also have like, you know, regulatory you know, systems and, you know, checks and controls around those, right? And I think that we'll have those same things, you know, in, in Web3, 
And you know, we're building the cryptography circuits uh, to to be able to do just that with uh, with Railgun. So to I guess sum it up, uh, can we stop bad actors um, in in a permissionless world? Uh, no, no, we can't, right? Uh, but we can um, instead have the ability to prove that we are good actors. And I, I think that's where the, the future is going to go. Right? People will be able to prove that they aren't uh, up to no good. Yeah, if I can quickly touch on that as well, like um, at Lucid, we actually have a bit of a similar solution to that as well, where we also have the option that uh, people can basically optionally reveal certain UTXOs in, in our on-chain Merkle tree belong to them, and through that prove that certain private transactions were sent by them. However, one thing we also thought about a lot is um, oftentimes you might also have the problem that you might see, you know, if you're, for example, let's say Amazon.com tomorrow decides they want to accept cryptocurrency. Um, and through that, then of course, they would want to accept private payments, hopefully. Um, but then they have the risk that what if they accept a private payment and they don't know what, you know, address on-chain it comes from. And now it comes from, you know, someone who stole this money by hacking some other protocol or something like this. Um, and the approach we take there, I think, is a bit similar to uh, what Mantra, I believe, it once discussed. Um, where the idea is basically that we have so-called certificate issuers that can issue a certificate that, um, you know, your KYC verified, for example, and along with your send, you can provide such a certificate and so to say, show that you are KYC verified. And then on the flip side, for a recipient, they can uh, essentially register themselves in the Lucid program in a way where they say, I only want to receive payments. Um, you should only confirm the payment to me um, if you're sure that the sender of this has provided a zero-knowledge proof that he owns a certain type of certificate. And through that, I think you can have a pretty good balance of like not forcing people to, you know, need to have this like permission KYC system inside of blockchain, but at the same time, providing that option for people who want to interact in such a way. Awesome. Can that help answer? Because <laughs> we, we just, we got to wrap up in a second. So I hope it was helpful. Definitely. I, it just made me think that there could be a solution where it's like a, Fudge, I had the word for it, but it's pretty much the getting a wallet address is not open to everybody, and you have to have someone know you to receive accessibility to that wallet. And so that could create some sort of chain of um, good good trust between users, where they know it's another user that validated that user. I hope I'm making sense here. <laughs> Yeah, proof of trust DAO. Somebody needs to go buy that ENS right now, man. That could be it. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Not to cause a big ENS gold rush here. Right, thanks, <laughs> thanks to all of our speakers who stuck around till the end. Thanks to all our listeners who stuck around to the end. And thank you for all the great questions. We do Secret Spaces every week. We'll be here again next week. We'll have different guests. This was a very privacy-centric week, but that's because we're a very privacy-centric project and ecosystem. If you made it till the end here, the only thing I'll show from our side is you might really want to get involved with the secret agents in the secret network community. We do a lot of work to help organize events like this, and we're looking to do more events like this in the future with other privacy projects. If you'd like to help us and you'd like to get the word out more, if you want to contribute to the privacy narrative, we have put a lot of resources in our community behind secret agents. We've got, we've had uh, many thousands of people uh, come in and through that program, many of whom have ended up working for projects in our ecosystem or even at the foundation itself. So we would love to meet you. We'd love to onboard you in our ecosystem. We do a lot of research on privacy across the entire Web3 ecosystem. We give you exposure to whomever you need. Please get in touch with us or just go. You can go to scrt.network slash agents. 
That will give you a little bit more of an overview of what we do as a community in our ecosystem. We just want to do as much as we can for the cause of privacy across Web3, work more closely with the awesome projects who joined us today, including Railgun, including NIM, including Elusive, including Nanta. Please get in touch with us uh, and follow this account. Follow us every week on Secret Spaces. We do have great guests all the time. Uh, thanks again, everyone who joined, everyone who listened, everybody who spoke. It was a pleasure. Uh, we will see you next week, next Tuesday, same time, same place for the next Secret Spaces. It was a privilege. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. And please enjoy the sounds of my cat. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Secret Spaces featuring privacy projects on Web3. Recorded on Tuesday, July 26th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep it hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Laser beam focused, starscream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man swagger. Sitting in a little den, envision in the middle men. Listen to the fatal man play a little ditty then. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Little Dan envisioning the middle men Listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedal hit the metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murk you Got a little job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the birds you gotta find cover wipe off the bird poop right off the work while you try on the worst juice blinded by perps who try to reverse truth slide like fox news just trying to lie to you eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants i can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis mock up a basement could call me resilient waiting for the internet to make me a billion Vision in the middle men, listen to the fiddle man, play a little ditty then, talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze trying to make the next billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze trying to make the next billion. Channel spaces.